or maybe I should say, last week we kind of began the study on um, kind of the atonement and how that has been viewed over the history of the church, how it's kind of um, the church's understanding of the, t- the atonement has, has kind of matured throughout um, church history to come to the kind of the way that we um, in the Protestant church um, kind of view it today. Um, last week we kind of pr- pressed from the early church on through the Reformation, and uh, I kind of left us last week with the idea that, that um, though we've come firmly to understand certain truths about about the atonement, um, there there have been like with it, it, it almost seems sometimes that as we that as we gain ground, we almost find other things to have disputes about or disagreements with, right? So um, that we continue, I think, in the. The churches as a whole as, uh, are maturing um, just throughout time, the understanding of um, just exactly what Christ did. Um, and we find ourselves uh, today, the discussion is going to center around um, so, some, some, the question, I guess, that, that would kind of lead to um, where this discussion um, or, or that kind of this discussion centers around is for whom did Christ die, right? So that's kind of when we start looking at how we're going to kind of um, kind of poke and prod at these different these different views here. That's kind of the central question. So I want to like before we kind of dig into it, I want to kind of do a sur- like a survey of the room. Who before I <laughs> who would be willing to 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 answer that question, right? Like, do I have any volunteers who would who would be willing? Like, if I say, "For whom did Christ die?" Anybody? I would say John three sixteen answers that one to me. Okay, so 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 why why <laughs> why then do we have a difficulty whenever I ask the question? Is it because it's me and Lennon's always going to throw a <laughs> wrench in the works? Like, where is Lennon going with this? <laughs> <laughs> so, for who, so for whom did Christ die? Right? So, one of, when you're, like, one of the things, like, I, I want to put forward questions and, and cause you to think, but, like, what... What you can't, the way you can't go wrong is by going to Scripture and saying, well, Scripture says this here, right? Like, that should be our, like the default way that we approach answering those questions. Um, now, what we're going to see today is that believers, um, like, like Jesus-loving, blood-bought believers disagree in this in this area, right? And 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 from all sides, they would they would you would hope the ones that that should at least be included in the in the debate um, ought to all answer in the same way, right? They ought to all go straight into scripture first and say, well, it says this here, because if we're all doing that, then I think that we can come to the same conclusions, right? Because ultimately God's Word is the source of truth that we're all kind of seeking and pressing into. So what we're going to kind of lay out um, is three kind of broad ways in which um, the atonement has been viewed, kind of three broad categories. We're going to speak about a, a couple of the um, kind of big proponents or the, you know, like the, the areas that where, where these 
ideas have kind of gotten fleshed out and um, a, a couple of them, there's kind of names associated with them and that I don't even know that the original, at least in one case, that the original proponent would hold to the to the um, to kind of the the view that a majority of the people that kind of follow after some of his teachings would hold to. But um, that's a debate for another day, I guess. So uh, three broad categories, and this is kind of the name. So um, before I do this, um, I want to kind of points you towards, uh, I think, uh, an, an excellent resource in this area. Um, a lot of what I'm reading out of today is going to kind of come from this book. So um, the book that I'm going to be kind of digging into here is called Salvation and Sovereignty, the last chapter or kind of the the, the final um, point of, of the book that he's kind of laying out. Um, he, he kind of digs into this particular topic that we're looking at, and I felt like this was a good place because he does a he he does a charitable um, he he deals with all the various views here very charitably, and I think that's a, a good approach here. He's not like uh, like you know there at the end of it, you're not like shots fired <laughs> after after you know he says something about one view or the other. I think he he approaches every view charitably. So th- the the book name again, if you're interested. Um, Salvation and Sovereignty is the name of that book. Um, and in the last chapter, he goes over three views of the extent of the atonement. Um, and the, the labeling that he gives to them um, is general atonement, limited atonement, and then the final that he discusses is he calls unlimited atonement, but he kind of uh, he rewords it and says singular redemption is kind of the, the term that he gives there. So... Um, kind of as we look at this, um, we're not going to have time at all to go into um, every single piece of this. And just for the sake of time, probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, I'm going to kind of use I'm going to leverage this resource heavily um, and kind of just do in a couple of different places just read what he's um, what he's kind of put together here um, in this book. So the the first view, general atonement. Um, this view is would like today like the there are a couple of um, like camps that would tend to to fall into this. Um, the uh, Armenian view, the Lutheran view would both um, would both kind of hold in in a in a very similar way, but um, not universally. Um, that's that's kind of the way that I would say it there. That that generally and broadly speaking, the Lutheran and the uh, Armenian camp tends to hold to um, a general uh, atonement view. Like if you were just counting the numbers of people that w- that would fall into each of those. Um, but but it's not universal by by any means. Um, so the Armenians, um, more specifically here, probably the Wesleyan Armenians believe that Christ, and I'm, I think his wording here is really good. They believe that Christ's death obtained salvation for all, but secured it for none. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read that again because I, I think that that's actually that he does a pretty good job of kind of. Um, Kind of summarizing the the uh, Armenian viewpoint here, 
when it comes to the atonement or general atonement. And they would believe that Christ's death obtained salvation for all but secured it for none. Do we understand the difference between what it means for your salvation to be secured versus obtained, right? So like to say it's obtained for all is to, is to, is to say that it's generally available to you, right? But it's not secured for you. And, and the general view there would be is that, um, is the, the work of faith does the work of, of, um, like uniting those two. Like the salvation that's been, um, obtained is generally secured by the application of faith. So, um, that's, that's kind of broadly speaking the, the Arminian uh, view here. Um, the Calvinist view is, is another one of the uh, kind of bigger camps here. This is the one that would be generally termed uh, limited atonement. Um, though I think that if you were to ask many who fell in that camp, um, they would probably, um, you know, many of them would, would, would probably have, um, like there would be some, some discussion around what it means for it to be to be limited. Um, so this view, typically held by those like John Owen, or the, this view pushed forward primarily by uh, John Owen in the 1600s, by John Murray in the uh, 18 to 1900s, held that Christ's death secured salvation for the elect alone. Christ not only made it possible for the elect to be saved, he saved them. So I want to I want to read the two um, the two kind of side by side so that we um, can kind of in our minds differentiate between um, the the differences. And we would need much more time than I think we have available to us today to really dig in and pick apart um, these two particular views. But um, so so the the one um, the Armenian the Wesleyan Armenian view here would say that Christ's death obtained salvation for all but secured it for none. The Calvinist view here would say um, that um, that Christ's death secured salvation for the elect alone. Right now, there would need to be the teasing out of what do we mean when we say elect. Um, but 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 I think for anyone hearing that, it's very clear like why why limited is is it generally used there um, because um, those who would hold this view and there are some very like uh, what I would call like hard. Um, like 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 hardliners in this area um, would go so far as to say is that that the work that Christ had on the cross um, how how could how could I say this generously um, that the work that Christ had on the cross was not for everyone so that when you see verse like like they might hold that like John three sixteen like we need to really dig into what it means that he died for the world right like like they would they would want to like pick apart that particular phrasing there right um so and so ultimately they would say that christ's death secured the salvation of the elect alone so where one it's obtained but not secured they would say that the work of christ on the cross uh, secured salvation but secured it for the elect alone um Christ and and they would like the uh, the idea they're kind of going forward would say that Christ not only made it possible right not only did he obtain it for the elect so that they could be saved but in the work of the cross that that work was actually the work of saving the elect so that's that's two particular views there's another view um, 
that uh, the that is considered and. So like this, this third view, um, this would be the one that I would myself, um, that I myself would hold to. Um, I think, I think that if you, that if you find people, so this is one of those where previously where I said like there, that, that, and that we're speaking broadly about these two camps, the Arminian camp and the, and the, the Calvinist camp, um, saying that, that, in general, they hold these views. This is like what I mean by that is that when you think of one of those particular camps, you tend to associate that broad generalization of the atonement to that camp, right? That's not to say that everyone who would who would lean towards those particular camps would necessarily hold that view. It's not universally it's not universally held um, in the Armenian camp or in the the um, the, the Calvinist camp. There, um, this is a this is a view that I'm 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 about to kind of we're about to jump into that that you would find people from either side holding to right like either side like this is one of those kind of almost middle ground areas. Um, that that proponents that fall into either camp oftentimes will 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 gravitate towards right. So um, the singular redemption view, um, and I'm just going to kind of read a couple of of high points and quotes here. It would it would say that. Um, so I'm I'm actually I'm just going to read. Uh, what he's got here. The singular redemption view held by moderate Calvinists and reformed Arminians agrees with the limited view that Christ paid a propitiatory atonement but argues that this payment was made for all humanity. This view holds that the atonement was unlimited and universal. Christ provided salvation for all but the benefits of the atonement are applied only to those who believe the key distinction of the singular redemption view is that it sees the temporal difference between the provision and the application. Um, so, kind of a, a quote here from uh, a, a, someone who holds this view um, that um, his his name's Robert Leitner, um, and I think it does a pretty good job of of kind of laying out this. Um, and and you can see where it kind of middle ground because it pulls from the statements that we've seen previously for the two broad camps. This view kind of try, it, it it tries to merge the two understandings. So it it says or his his quote here says Christ died to make possible the salvation of all men and to make certain the salvation of those who believe. So that um, the obtaining it, but then also kind of the uh, the, the certainty that comes along with the with the with the work of Christ there. Um, go. I'm gonna I'm gonna read kind of a little bit more um, on on the this particular view, um, the singular redemptive view here. So the singular redemptive position, in a nutshell, holds that when um, Jesus Christ died at Calvary, He provided atonement for each and every individual in the world. But the benefits of this provision are enjoyed only by those who repent from their sins and place their trust in the Savior. Some passages of Scripture speak of the atonement's universal provision, John 3.16 being an example there. Others highlight its limited application. 
This distinction between provision and application means that Christ provided a particular redemption that is universal in its scope. Um, And I really like the last part of that um, statement that he has here in this book, this idea of particular redemption. Christ, Christ died so that the world might be saved, but in the work of the cross, he was thinking about each and every one of you, right? You would believe. His work has secured you, right? He was particular in going to the cross to redeem you, those who would believe, the church, right? It wasn't, it wasn't in, in the sense just like this wasted work that no one would come to, right? Because that, there's, there's a dangers on both ends, right? There's, there's, and, and that's like, there's a danger on one end to say that he obtained it for all but secured it for none. Like that particular view would, would leave room that Christ died on the cross and none were saved, right? The, it, 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 leaves the, it leaves the end game completely open to the will of man. Right, and there's a danger there, and this is like like examples of this. Like I would look and I would say, God orchestrated the life of Paul, all of those failings and 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 rebellions prior to Damascus Road, in such a way that he had no option on that road. Right, he was not free. Because God said to the one that, that He sent, He's like, He's my chosen vassal. He wasn't like, but, but that's not to say that He, that He did not like move and act, that it wasn't Him, but God orchestrated the life to there, so that when that moment came, it was very, very particular, very, very personal. There was no like, Paul was gonna do any, go any other, any other way, right? Like, Christ, one Paul. And and he was from the moment of the cross to the moment of the Damascus Road, from the beginning of of creation, Paul in that moment was coming to him. Right? Um, So Christ's work on the cross was for Paul. It was for you by name. Right? By name. Very particular redemption. His work was sufficient for all who believe. But you would believe, right? You would believe. And the Armenians would argue that, well, if Paul had rejected, that God would have raised up someone else. Yeah, but but they, they would say something like that. But then there's there's contention with the scripture that God says He's going to, right? Like there's like like there's and so there's and and this is why this is why I like this particular. Uh, this particular view, I think that it um, it goes a long way to to address um, all of the scripture that that seems to be universal, um, as well as the the passages of text um, that would be um, that would seem to be limiting in in what they they put forward. I want to I want to kind of finish this up um, with I'm I'm going to read from the historic theology uh, text that kind of got us kicked off on the history of the church's understanding of atonement. And the last, um, kind of the closing summary um, that uh, that historical theology book kind of puts forward here 
speaking of um, the substitutionary view of, of atonement um, and, and kind of laying it out, like one of the things that, that he highlights in this about the modern age that I think is um, so absolutely critical um, to this is, is this continued return to um, there are certain truths that are so difficult that um, when, we, when we broad brush any particular view, we, we almost make caricatures out of it and, and, and we, we fail to fully um, address the thoughts that are coming from there. Um, so one of the things that kind of in the, in the modern time is happening more and more, and I think this is, um, this is a, a wonderful thing to see, is that um, what people on, on, on all sides have, have, have kind of... Um, been doing is articulating this truth by the usage of the text itself. Um, so he kind of does this. I'm gonna. I'm, what I'm gonna do is this. This last little. This last little phrase um, from the historic theology book. He he quotes in like in large part um, from a from a writing by John Acker's the book called This We Believe the Good News of Jesus Christ for the World. This is um, kind of from that book and he's kind of inserted it in here. Um, I'm going to read it and then kind of with the idea that what, what, what we ought to do is we ought to have well-established views and understandings that when we articulate it, we ought to be able to say text, 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 text to support that particular articulation um, so that's that's kind of what he's um, what he he does here so I'm gonna I'm gonna read that and and I think this is one of those things that um, that no matter where you where you fall on on what side of this you you would tend um, that um, I think we we would we would all agree um, with what he's kind of put together um, here in this particular um, quotation so here, here, here goes, and I may read this twice because it's, I think it's really good. And get your pens, pens or pencils ready because um, as I'm reading through it, there's going to be several places where I'm going to be like Matthew, X, Y, Z, Corinthians, Romans, John, Colossians. But I couldn't, we couldn't flip to each and every one of those texts and kind of follow through the the. the train of thinking here, but I want to. I want you to be ready so that you can jot them down so that you can then go and kind of f- like fact check the statement that preceded the quoting of, of kind of, the, I'm going to give you the articulation and then I'm going to give you the, 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 the scripture that kind of leads into that. And some of them, there's, there's kind of several to, to tease out all the ideas. So here we go. The Father sent the Son to free us from the dominion of sin and Satan and to make us God's children and friends. Jesus paid our penalty in our place on His cross, satisfying the retributive demands of divine justice by shedding His blood in sacrifice and so making possible justification for all who trust in Him. Romans chapter 3, 
5 or Romans chapter 3 verse 25 and 26 to kind of support that thought. Uh, continuing on, the Bible describes this mighty substitutionary transaction as the achieving of ransom, reconciliation, redemption, propitiation, and conquest, conquest of evil powers. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25 there again, John chapter 12, verse 31, Colossians. <laughs> I'll go back to it at the end. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, continuing on. It secures for us a restored relationship with God that brings pardon and peace, acceptance and access, adoption into God's family. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. The faith in God and in Jesus Christ to which the gospel calls us is a trustful outgoing of our hearts to lay hold of these promises and benefits. Um, so I'm going to go back. I'm going to read it through without the quotation and then I'm going to... Yes, I am. That's one of the reasons that yeah. You go. go. <laughs> I'm gonna go. No, I'm gonna go back at the very end, and I'll slow roll through the through the the quotation. But this time, I'm gonna read through without doing the quotation. So this is kind of um, <laughs> effectively. That's what I just did. <laughs> All right. So so y'all y'all listen y'all listen to this. The Father sent the Son to free us from the dominion of sin and Satan and to make us God's children and friends. Jesus paid our penalty in our place on His cross, satisfying the retributive demands of divine justice by shedding His blood in sacrifice and so making possible justification for all who trust in Him. The Bible describes this mighty substitutionary transaction as the achieving of ransom, reconciliation, redemption, propitiation, and conquest of evil powers. It secures for us a restored relationship with God that brings pardon and peace, acceptance and access, and redemption into God's family. In faith, the faith in God and in Christ to which the gospel calls us is a trustful outgoing of our hearts to lay hold of these promises and benefits. Um, so the, I'm going to go slow through the kind of the verses that you would um, refer to to kind of that this kind of is is describing. So Romans chapter three, verses 25 and 26, or yeah, um, Romans chapter three, verses 25 and 26. Matthew, y'all tell me to slow down if I need to slow down too. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 21. Romans chapter 3, 23 through 25. So you could say 23 through 26 to just get all of them there. Um, John chapter 12. Verse 31, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And then chapter 2, 13 and 14. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 18. Do I need to go back through any of those? I tried to read a little bit slower that time. <laughs> um, so, one thing... This, this, particular, this particular subject, I think, at times um, gets heavily, heavily, heavily debated, um, almost to where, um, where there's a tendency to um, be divisive. Um, and the, the thing that I think that's most important, and I try to communicate that just in general in this class, um, I think that if we as believers... I don't care if you fall into a camp, right? Like, I don't care if you tend in a particular direction. That's, that's fine. That's, we tend, like, that's just nature to find people that, that have similar ideas as us and to gravitate towards them, right? Like, that's, that's just the nature of, of, of who we are as people. Um, I, I think that when our attitudes become divisive as believers, that it's, um, that it's a danger to us and to others and to the church as a whole, right? Because I think um, that at the core of who we are, we're all growing towards uh, Christ-likeness, and that's not of our effort, right? Like, like the the Calvinist or the Arminian or the whoever is going to is going to grow in knowledge and understanding until we all one day in heaven have the same understanding, right? So like knowing that we're knowing and considering that 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 the one like hill to down in my mind is are you are you rightly dividing God's word when you're coming to the understanding that you have, right? That is central. That's the hill to down, right? Like when you believe a thing, do you believe it because you've put due diligence into reading the text for yourself and coming to that conclusion? Or have you simply just relied on the word of others as your sole like source of truth for that particular thing, right? Um, so long as we all can come together in the text, um, being generous, right? And when I say like being generous, like being charitable, that that um, someone that holds a different view than me, they're not ignorant. They just are looking at it differently, right? But what we tend to do is it's like, is we go from like, you have a different view to you don't love Jesus in, in like a step and a half, right? And that's where the, da- that's where the danger lies. 
where when we start questioning one another's faith in 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 our in our same Lord because we we differ on certain um, particular uh, theological points of view. Um, so let us always um, be relaxed ourselves as individuals um, when we come together um, in God's Word, especially over like hot button topics. Um, I, I pray that we're always charitable in the way that we approach that. Um, and I pray that we're always um, asking for the Holy Spirit to lead us and to lead our hearts, right? I think if we do that, um, whether we hold the one particular view strongly today, we may not um, 10 years from now, we may find ourselves you know, somewhere in the middle along the way, um, but we are all pressing forward in the same Savior for the same hope. Um, and ultimately... Um, you know, uh, Jesus. Jesus will tell us where we're wrong and right Himself, um, and I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. Um, he continues through the working of the Holy Spirit to do so today, um, but He will do that completely um, and fully um, on the other side of eternity for us. So um, let us let us rest in that hope.